Good morning. Welcome to Conversations with a Cup of Joe. I'm Joe. And I'm Josh. Morning, Josh. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? All right. I'm good. Today we're going to talk about the most important thing I could think to talk about. Uh, context. Mm-hmm. Context in Scripture specifically. Yes. And uh, I think that as a group we tend to often overlook context, especially when people quote Scripture. Uh, they like to quote scripture completely out of context, not really taking into consideration the meaning of what they're saying. And very clearly, it could have a completely different meaning. So today, we are going to look over a few of these commonly out of context verses and uh, have a conversation about them. So, yep. Josh, why don't you start us off by the verse and a citation? And we'll turn there and kind of get a better understanding of what we're looking at. Yeah, so we're going to start off in John with a couple uh, verses kind of spotted around. We're going to start with John sixteen twenty three and the surrounding verses. All right. So let me pull that up real quick. All right. So sixteen twenty three and and in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, He will give to you. Mm-hmm. So, typically, how would you say we misuse that verse? Uh, yeah, so this this gets used a lot to basically just say that, uh, you know, God is some entity in a golden lamp that you rub a couple times and become a millionaire. Mm-hmm. Um, people often use this out of context to say that whatever you ask for, whatever you want... Christianity says that that will be given to you. And I think there's an issue with that that will become clear when we flip over to the other verse in John. Yeah, I think this is where a lot of prosperity movement kind of originates too. It is, yeah. And that's, it's sort of interesting to me because if you really think about and recognize what this is saying, it's sort of like the antithesis of prosperity movement, really. Right, so uh, fourteen thirteen, John fourteen thirteen. Yep, says, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Yeah, so there's a very important second clause in that thirteenth verse there, um, that the Father may be glorified in the Son, and I think that's kind of where our thought for this whole idea kind of stems from. Well, you mean I can't ask for a new Ferrari? (laughs) Uh, I mean, you certainly can. Yeah. Chances of getting it, not great. No. No. But you also have to ask the question, the all-important question, does God want you to have that Ferrari? Right, and is it in God's will? Well, I think a lot of times we look at it as our will. Mm-hmm. My will be done, not thy will be done. And that's the exact inverse of how we should look at things. Right. Um, but these verses, definitely, we've seen the prosperity movement jump out of this. We've seen name it and claim it jump out of this. Mm-hmm. We've seen countless bad theologies built on the back of a verse saying, ask what will glorify God, and it will be given to you. Yep. So in examples in Scripture where we've seen this, I, I'm sure... Paul asked for safe travels. Mm-hmm. He, he didn't get that. No. Because it glorified God more for him to have a shipwreck and get bit by a snake yep. 
to preach the word of God than it was for Paul to have a, a nice clean passage. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think any of the church fathers wouldn't have prayed to be spared from the initial, or I should say disciples, not church fathers. Uh, any of the disciples would have would have prayed to be spared from their martyrdom. Uh, well, I mean, even Jesus did. Right. So, right. you and, know, and, and was Jesus spared from the cross? And I would certainly think that Jesus was asking this in his his own name, obviously. Yeah, and well, and Jesus kind of like if it if it needs to get any more clear, I think Jesus does a very good job of making it as clear as it can be. In right. the end of that prayer, he says, "If it is your will, spare me. Let this cup pass over me. Mm-hmm. But if there is no other way, then I accept this task that you've given me." Right. And I think that the craziest thing when we look at this stuff is that we believe that we should be treated better by God than the than spotless the lamb. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't I don't possess that level of self-grandizement. Um, when I look at Jesus and his perfect life and all that he did for the ministry, and I look at my pathetic existence, and I see that I've done nothing right for most of my life. Mm-hmm. And the things that I do right now, I only do right because of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And I think, oh, geez, well, maybe I'm not meant to have a perfect life. Maybe I'm meant to have a glorifying life. Mm-hmm. So I do believe that that, is, that had to be the first scripture we talked about today, because so many people have wrapped bad theology around it, mm-hmm. repackaged it. And then the reason it's important, and the reason most of these are important, Atheists are often made on the backs of bad theology. Mm -hmm. They they believe that Christians believe that you can ask for anything and you'll get it, or many of the other verses we talk about today. Context is really important, not just context, though understanding the original language is different from our English today. I mean, if you look at just an old King James Bible Mm -hmm. to a new King James Bible, the language is vastly different. Imagine going from back when Jesus was walking the earth where they speak Aramaic, Greek, and Hebrew. Yep. And going to today with our words and our vernacular. So definitely something I wanted to pass on is that this is important for multiple reasons. Yeah, well, and that's not even necessarily a flaw in translation, as a lot of secular sources like to make it out to be. Um, It can just be a simple matter of the English language isn't that great. <laughs> you know, like the, we the, do miss words consistently. Yeah, so. the Hebrew and the Greek had many words for a concept like love or a concept mm-hmm. like a father. Things like this that took on different meanings and many of them were explicitly used for divine purposes. Whereas, you know, in the English, we just have the one word for it and we move on. Right. So, you know, uh, the translators can't really work with that too much because there aren't words to work with there. Right. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, that is something that you do have to take into account when reading Scripture. I think yeah. just to just to summarize these verses and what we're trying to say with them is that in the context with this specifically— if you ask for something that aligns with the will of God, it will be given to you. If it does not align with the will of God, it will not be given to you. And really, the true purpose of this is to make you align yourself more with God's will, Correct. not bend God to your will. Right. And his timing, not yours. So you don't ask for it and get it this week. Right. You that know, it's is, definitely going to be exactly in his timing. Right. Yep. 
he knows how long we've got. We don't, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's a that's a big piece of that equation. Yep. All right. All right. So next one we have is Matthew seven one. My favorite out of context verse of all time. I love it because <laughs> mm-hmm. you hear it constantly from Christians. Yes. Turns my stomach every single time. Well, you know, and it, it it's kind of odd to me that the people that use this out of context, it's usually because they feel guilty about something that they've done. Correct. And when someone calls them out <laughs> on it, they say, judge not, that you be not judged, lest you not be judged, whatever your translation says. This is that verse. But they stop where there's a semicolon. But they stop at the semicolon, <laughs> yeah. Semicolon means we've got a continued thought, so mm-hmm. there is something more important coming or something as important coming. And often, like in church, you're like, well, I don't mean to judge, but. <laughs> Anything that came before the but's nonsense to begin with. And I don't mean to judge, but this person is living a life that's sinful. Right. Or this Well, in the context of a church we are supposed to call out our brothers and sisters. Yeah. Uh, there is a way to do it correctly, mm-hmm. and it's certainly not by gossiping, but it, it absolutely is. There is a correct way to call out brothers and sisters in Christ mm-hmm. who have strayed or are doing something or living a lifestyle that's not correct. Yep. And so we can continue this, this verse. Everybody knows this one. Judge not mm-hmm. that you be not judged. For with that judgment you judge, you will be judged. Ooh, there's your semicolon right there. There it is. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Mm -hmm. So why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Mm -hmm. How can you say to your brother, let me remove that speck from your eye? And look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Mm Mm-hmm. So there is a call for us to remove the speck. But first, I always picture this in my mind. It's a a very comical idea of this guy walking around with like a four by four beam sticking out of his face. And the thing that always makes me laugh about that is the beam keeps you far enough away from the person that you can't get close. Mm -hmm. So if I'm thinking about me having this beam in my eye, I can't get close enough to you to tell you there's a speck in your eye. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I think that when we look at this in context, we're seeing that God's saying, hey, listen, you do need to judge your brothers and sisters. You do lovingly, and you make sure that that sin isn't in your life first so they can't call you out in return. Mm-hmm. Listen, you're living wrong. You're uh, you know, you're know, having uh, marital infidelity issues. Well, if you're cheating on your wife and you're telling your brother he's cheating on his, I said, well, who are you to tell me this? Mm-hmm. You know, And it, it is important that we follow the actual scripture mm-hmm. and not what we cherry pick um yeah well and I, I would just like to add here i think it's important to note this is referring to other believers but even if we do apply it to other people outside of the church i would just like to say that uh if the whole thing about removing a log in your own eye when compared to people outside of the church applies to you that might be a greater concern. So right. we are not called to judge people outside of the church by the standards of Scripture. We are called to judge people inside the church by the standards of Scripture. Correct. 
also understanding that that standard which we judge by will be heightened on Judgment Day for ourselves. Correct. And I think um, often I, I've told the, the kids this, and I've told quite a few people this actually, mm-hmm. how do I hold somebody accountable to the rules of a game they're not playing? Yep. You know, if you look at a board game and you've got the pieces set up, you're ready to go, and you're going to play, and somebody just walks in the room and picks up a card and moves a piece and then walks out of a room, they're not playing that game. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't hold them accountable to those rules. They're not actually playing. Yeah. Right. Uh, and I think likewise with Christianity, we often like to judge people on the outside of the church. Yeah. But Jesus didn't do that. He had grace first mm-hmm. and then said, listen, here's the standard that I'd like you to live to. Mm-hmm. This is where you need to be. Uh like with the woman at the well or the woman caught in the act of adultery, mm-hmm. he went specifically to that woman and said, listen, go get your husband. Mm-hmm. And she judged herself. She said, but I don't have a husband. And he said, no, you don't. And the, the five men you have been with, they're not your husband. The guy you're with now, he isn't your husband either. Mm-hmm. So it, he's looking into her own judgment of herself and saying, you're speaking rightly. Yeah. Now live rightly. Yeah, well, and, you know, this is reflected in a story that is so, so poignant with Jesus, um, where he's eating with the Pharisees and the Mm -hmm. disciples, and uh, the woman with the alabaster jar of uh, ointment comes in and starts to anoint his feet. And, you know, the Pharisees are thinking to themselves, if this man was truly a prophet he would know that this woman is not clean. And Jesus very clearly says to them, you, I, does he, is that the one where he calls them doers of iniquity? I don't I remember. believe so. Yeah, he, he very clearly says, hey, you guys are not living to the standard that you set. He gives the woman grace who is anointing his feet because... A, she's doing the right thing, as Jesus says, by anointing him. And preparing him for burial. Exactly. But she is also not, by the standard that this verse sets, she is able to receive grace where the Pharisees quite obviously are not because they are giving her a hefty charge while not looking at themselves. Right. And that was what the Pharisees were known for. I mean, he called them mm-hmm. whitewashed tombs. Yep. You know, you, you look good on the outside, but you're full of dead men's bones on the inside. Mm-hmm. Um, he called them vipers, yeah. a brood of vipers, mm-hmm. you know. And and those things are heavy condemnations coming from the Son of God himself mm-hmm. towards a religious people that were seen as almost demigods in their time. I mean, they were seen as like the utmost top of the religious yeah, and, were... pol- and socioeconomic political ladder. Yeah, I mean, they were the standards of holiness for the people of the time, and a lot of that came from the pomp and pageantry that they, you know, paraded themselves with. Absolutely. Which, uh, I'm not sure if you <laughs> may know this or not, but God is not a fan of that. No, certainly so, not. Uh, yeah, for that one, just to summarize it, Matthew 7, 1, in context, it's saying, judge other believers by a standard that you judge yourself by and those outside the church give them grace Mm -hmm. now the next one an absolute classic of this Philippians 4 13 
We don't even really need to pull up the verse. I think everyone knows this one. It's on every coffee cup in America. It is on every coffee cup in America. Every football coach has used this at some point. I believe I've seen it on fast food bags. I'm not even joking. I would believe it. Yeah. And this is, of course, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Um, the one that everyone, the version that everyone has memorized is, uh, for I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So this is Philippians 4.13. Mm-hmm. And Joe, how about you just... All right. I was, I was looking forward one. to this one. Yeah. All right. So we're going to start in 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, we could probably start earlier, but this will give a, a good background. Yep. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but lack the opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Mm-hmm. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, you have done well and shared in my distress. We can stop there because I think that that makes the point loud and clear. Mm-hmm. Um, in case we didn't, though, we are talking about Paul here. Paul is writing this letter to the church of Philippi. Yep. Little quick background. Philippi is a church that was put together by some of Paul's closest friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, he met them in his missionary journeys, and he's writing to them. It's one of the very few letters of Paul that when you read the the beginning, the uh, salutation to them, you can actually feel his love mm-hmm. for the people who are heading up this church, yep. almost like it's a long-lost friend. Mm-hmm. And so he's writing them, telling listen, I, I've learned to be content with everything. I can be content if I'm rich, if I'm poor, if I'm happy, if I'm sad. No matter what I do, I can be content. And I think Paul knows a thing or two about this. Yeah, so this is... Really, like if I had to, if I had to sum it up in one sentence, this is a verse about endurance, not achievement, right? Mm. Like this is this is a verse talking about, hey, life is going to suck a lot, but you can get through it with Christ. Right. It is not, hey, I can break the record forty time at the NFL Combine <laughs> because God. That's not what this is. I can lift 500 pounds because God <laughs> <Right>. strengthened me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I, I'm pretty sure that was the trend you injected. But Yeah, well, yeah. Or the EMT is lifting it off of you <laughs> after it drops on your chest. <laughs> I just, but that's the thing. People often use it for such silliness that mm-hmm. God loses the glory in it. And that's, once yeah. again, we've got to talk about God's glory because we're put here to be reflections of God's glory. That's what it is to be an image bearer of Christ. Yeah. Or an image bearer of God, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, but these guys are out there, and 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 a lot of them, the people who say Philippians four thirteen nine times out of ten, they're not living the Christian life yeah. or anything even closely resembling it. Mm-hmm. Um, but they write it under their eyes, and they just you know put in that eye black underneath them, or they mm-hmm. they'll write it on their shirts. And 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 listen, I love that Scripture is getting out there. Yeah. But if Scripture out of context is getting out there, the the sore truth is, is it? It's almost like perceiving a false gospel. It often does more harm than good because, as as you said earlier in the episode, 
um, atheists and just, you know, people in general take those out of context verses and base their Christian theology or what they think of Christ and Christian theology around this interpretation that they've heard from other Christians. Now, um, Tim Tebow is an interesting figure in the Christian world. I think he he does a lot of good, but this whole thing was really exacerbated by uh, Tim Tebow and Christian athletes like him with the whole John 3.16 and Philippians 4.13 um, being plastered everywhere in mm-hmm. the athletic sphere. And because of this, the American church really, really clung on to that and the interpretations of these verses. And guess what? Those have become the most popular verses. They were also beforehand, but really and truly like have blown the competition out of the water now in popular culture because of these athletics where... I mean, Tim Tebow had, like, seven murderers on that team with him. (laughs) Like, you know, not saying that he himself was a bad dude. According to my theology, all of them are, but... uh, (laughs) but, It depends on your theology. It certainly does. But, uh, you know, like, he had people... That entire team ended up in prison other than him. Wow. You know, like, so it's just one of those things where that Florida team was known for... John 3.16, and probably the worst rap sheet for any NCAA team in history. <laughs> like, the, those were the two things. And so it was uh, it, it was sort of an interesting time. It was a face-off of good and evil in football. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was like the return of the Notre Dame-Miami rivalry, you know. <laughs> so I've got an interesting quote here from Dallas Willard on okay. this. Mm-hmm. Uh, the usual Christian quotes his words. Only when facing hard times. But that is not Paul's meaning. In the previous verses, he said, I have learned whatever state I am in to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Mm -hmm. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned to be both full and hungry, both to abound and suffer need. Thus, when he adds that Christ gives him strength for everything, he is saying that also that Christ enables him to abound, be full, and prosper. Mm -hmm. He succeeded in abundance because of his relation to Christ just as much as he has succeeded by grace in his times of need. Few people understand that they need help to abound. The gospel is for the up and up and in as well as the down and out. God's point of view. Uh, oh, I skipped something here. Equally so, and equally needed from God's point of view. The church's solidarity with the poor cannot be realized until spiritu- spirituality has a place in the boardrooms and factories, universities and government offices equal mm-hmm. to what it has in a church house, religious retreat, and a rescue mission. Uh, forgive me for stumbling through that, but those words are small and my glasses are not what they used to be. <laughs> it's not my eyes, it's my glasses. Uh-huh. Um, but what he's saying here is that like, we often look at that and go, we need God for the good times. Mm-hmm. or we God gave us the good times. So in this case, he's saying, I need God for the good times as well as the bad, because if I don't have God in the good times, mm-hmm. I'm going to be tempted to believe that I created that situation. Yeah. Well, and, you know, our our pastor, uh, he always says, he has a lot of, like, truisms that he goes to very frequently, <laughs> but uh, one of them is never travel faster than you can navigate, right? Right. And this is sort of, this is an example of that where it's like, hey, if the good times come, 
guess who you stop relying on? You stop relying on God. And I think most people that have lived life and have been through those peaks and valleys, they understand that because, you know, you get to that peak, you look around, you can go in every direction. When you're in the valley, you only have forward. And so when you're at that peak, it's that whole idea of never travel faster than you can navigate because God is there. The way that God puts forward for you is there, but it is way more difficult to see that on the peak than it is in the valley. And so, yeah, that is uh, that is a great passage from Dallas Willard. He has a lot like that that I really enjoy. Well, and I think that we we often kind of skip over this stuff. I mean, you read your Bible. A lot of people read their Bible like they're reading a novel, mm-hmm. and uh, we don't stop to think about what this stuff means. So yeah. I think that some, a conversation like this is beneficial for the, the body because sometimes it takes somebody like pointing at something going, hey, look, there's a neon light right there, and it's got your name, mm-hmm. you know? And so we've got a lot of great people that have gone before us that we take into consideration our beliefs on our theology and maybe our pastor's beliefs. But we we really look back at what men of God before us have said, which is something that we are called to do. Yeah. Um, this Bible I've got, I, I love it. Um, the ancient modern Bible is a new King James version. Picked it up for a steal at a bookstore. And uh, I went, well, that looks cool. Let me grab that. It was very inexpensive at the time they were having a sale. And I was like, well, what's another another Bible for the collection, you know? And I started reading it. It became my favorite translation because up and down all the pages, they have commentaries from anywhere from the early church fathers to a C.S. Lewis to um, everybody. I mean, you really everybody in here. And so it gives you a good perspective on what people thought. So if you read it and you look at the past and you go, hmm, let's see what other people thought about that passage. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a benefit to having a, a Bible that actually does give you some theological grounding in it. By the way, slight uh, side note here. The one that you gave, um, I forget who you gave it to, one of the people that I know well, um, with like, it has excerpts from like St. Augustine That's and one. people like that. Yeah, I get yeah, this yeah, pastor. Yeah. That one is so, so incredible mm-hmm. because like it, I was, I was reading a couple verses from it. I'm like, oh, there's martin luther that's yes. interesting and you know like you'll get a dwight l moody and stuff like that and it, it's just it is really well i actually saw the cool. uh uh the the guy who wrote the message bible in here too i forget his name right now but i know oh. it as soon as i saw it eugene peterson yes yeah eugene peterson well that's unfortunate yeah it is but uh you know i mean <laughs> <laughs> well that's where discernment comes yes, into, yes. Uh, comes into play there's a lot of interesting names in here yeah but you know at the same time those those ones that are reliable um we are there's a sense of like we are called to um we are called to kind of compound biblical knowledge on past generations and that's how that builds up and develops over time i think that goes hand in hand with being a good berean you know search these things out and know that they are true yeah so you really do need to have an understanding of the bible in order to effectively exegete scripture and to be able to share your faith, because it, it's one thing to share your faith with people you meet. Like, I love Jesus. Okay, cool. This is my story. Great. Mm-hmm. But if they've got questions you can't answer, yep. 
And let's face it, you're eventually going to get hit with questions you can't answer, whether you know a lot or very little. Mm-hmm. There'll be a mishmash of ones you can answer and ones you can't. Yep. But it helps to have some kind of apologetic background. I know I, early on when I first got saved and really started evangelizing, I used um, the cross-examined app Frank mm-hmm. Turk put out. Mm-hmm. And there's actually a question and answer section, so you can quick scroll and, and all right, there's the answer. Yeah. I got a text. Um, yeah. <laughs> I didn't tell you it was from Frank Turk, but it's right here. Yeah, uh, we're good buddies. Anything that you can, well, he comes from my neck of the woods, so we're both from Jersey. That's true. You can forgive us for that. Uh, but <laughs> the thing is, is, is being able to answer, you know, have an answer for the faith and for the hope that's in you is, is an important commandment, and it is something that I think we struggle with as a church, it is very important to be able to look at the scripture and go, all right, this is what this means. What do other people think it means? Because you don't have to present your side as true all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I know a lot of people that what they read in the Bible, 100% true. They know it's true. It's their word. Mm-hmm. They know this is the exact meaning. This is what God meant. Okay, I'm, I'm say this right now. You don't know what God meant. Mm-hmm. If I could, If I can understand God, that means I'm God. Correct. And I don't want to be God because I would be terrible at that, it. Yeah, that would be bad. That would be, be bad real for bad. Everyone. Everybody would have a very bad day if I were God. Yeah. All right, let's move on to our next one. Mm-hmm. I think we'll, I'm going to let you take the bull and run with this one because this is one of your favorite books. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> yes, we have, we have made it to Romans. So uh, this one is Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So, this is followed with a very interesting verse um, that we might get knew into, we, depending on how. I, I, I knew we, we, I knew this goes. would eventually come up in this podcast. Yeah. Um, so for now, I won't read it, but I probably will uh, pretty soon. So I'm going to go back to Romans eight twenty six here. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit helps himself, intercedes for us. I don't know where the word helps came from. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I would first like to point out that it does not say Mother Mary intercedes for the saints <laughs> according to the will of God. Just, you know, throwing that out there. But um, No shade of Catholics. Huh? Um, of course. No, no. I mean, who, who said Catholic? I didn't say anything. Uh, <laughs> and then, of course, we get to 828, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, mm-hmm. this one is... Very uh, fitting that you put this right after Philippians here. Yes, yeah. it so is. It's very it is. similar. Yeah, no, this is a structured episode, guys. Would you look at that? Um, so we haven't done that before. <laughs> so, so Joe, what are your what are your initial thoughts on this verse? Why is it taken out of context? All that stuff. Well, I mean, it's taken out of context because everybody wants to believe that God is just going to give them everything they want in life. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I would be lying if I said I didn't want to believe that. Right. Just because I don't believe it, but I want to. <laughs> <coughs> Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. Mm-hmm. So we're going to start right there. Yeah. Um, 
we don't know what we should pray for. Why? Mm-hmm. Because our hearts are deceitfully wicked above all things, and who can know it? Exactly. I I want when I say I, I use the acronym pray that I've I've been using for years, and I actually brought it up in church this week, which I thought was hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, praise, mm-hmm. repent, mm-hmm. ask. Yep. We all skip to ask. Yep. We were asked to write down prayers this week. I just skipped right to ask. Why? Because that's a selfish heart. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I want to ask for the things that I want God to do in my life. Now, maybe it, you know, wasn't a Ferrari or a, uh, you know, <laughs> or a new house or, um, you know, a million dollars. It was for other people that I care about mm-hmm. to, to, to see Jesus and, and respond to his call. But we do skip right to ask. And I've, I've made it a point to consistently use that acronym in my personal prayer time because I think that it's set out for us with the Lord's Prayer, and it's completed for us in... Oh, you're bringing up the big guns now. Reformation Study Bible, baby. For those of you that are getting weird background noises here, that was me unzipping my backpack trying to get my Study Bible out rather clumsily. But, uh, I, I mean, we like to ask for things, and so we don't know what we should pray for. But... The Spirit makes intercession for us. Mm -hmm. So when we don't know what to pray for, the Spirit that lives within us is praying on our behalf Mm -hmm. for things that will help us work in tandem with what God wants to do in our lives. So once again, it's all about God's will, not our will. Hold on. You mean a a person of divinity knows something that we don't about ourselves? I know. That omnipotent, (laughs) omnipresent, you know, omniscient... uh, uh-huh. God knows more than I know. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's quite incredible, isn't it? It's a, well, we often go to God. Well, God, if you knew what was going on down here, if you knew what was going on in my life, you'd change it. And mm-hmm. God's like, uh, you, you know who I am, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, okay, so let's let's go back to the, the PRAY acronym. I think that one's really good because, so reading in the study Bible, the note on 826, um, it says, Our inarticulate longings to pray properly are an indication to us that the indwelling Spirit is already helping us by interceding for us in our hearts, making requests that the Father will certainly hear. So that, I think, is is very interesting because I hear a lot of people say, well, I don't know what to pray for. Right? right? I, I know every week, Joe, me and you on Wednesday and Thursday nights, we ask for prayer requests. Yep. And how often do we get more than two? It, it, does, it doesn't happen very frequently. No, 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 it doesn't. I was, but, I was just thinking back to the last time, and uh, I got prayers for, uh, pray for the person who died, and I'm like, uh, well, well, uh, yeah, a little late on that one. Um, yeah, I'll pray for the people that for, are remaining. Pray for my animals. Yes, you know, animals. Pray, pray for the animals. Uh, yeah, so oftentimes, especially young people, don't know what to pray for. And I think when you start with praising God, and then you start to think about how you have messed up since the last time you prayed, and you repent of those things, you turn away from them. By the time you get to the ask, you will have asks, right? But even if you don't, even if they don't come to mind, when you repent, when you praise God, the Spirit is interceding for you, and you will be, again, the whole theme of this episode is developing into pursuing the will of God. Right. 
when you are pursuing the will of God in that way, your wants will be addressed because they are in further alignment with the will of God. And at that point, the Holy Spirit provides discernment. The Holy Spirit intercedes for you. The Holy Spirit does all the things that the Holy Spirit is great at doing to provide you with exactly what you need. And that's really the true power of prayer is that you don't even need to know what you want to ask for. Mm. So uh, that's that's definitely very interesting. Now the note on 828 here. Um, Christians assess the present in the light of their assurance about the future. Believers are those who love God. Love is a necessary fruit of a living faith. Galatians 5, 6 says... Our love for God is evoked by knowledge for his love for us. So, um, you know, that, that I think says it pretty well. When we look at the actual verse, it says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Joe, um, there's a word there that stands out to me now that I'm rereading it for like the 78th time. Oh my God. That would be the word Good. <laughs> what, why, why ever would you ask me about that what exactly do you think it might be referring to when it says works together for good thinking about um a certain part of genesis when what did what does that word good mean to you well i mean good is there's so there's so many meanings for the word good i mean i always go to moral excellence but in this context we're looking at good as in uh god said it is good consistently in mm-hmm. genesis and when he said it was good it's like a it's done mm-hmm. it's it's perfect it's complete i've done it yeah. good almost always seems to draw a correlation to perfection mm-hmm. in some way shape or form yep. so is it possible that in this verse we're talking about all things working together to God's perfect plan for those who know God and are called according to his purpose. Yeah. So when when thinking of this verse and you know when you hear other people talking about it this is not the human standard for good that we're thinking of here. No. This is very far from the human standard of good. This is God's standard of good. And now I will read Romans 8:29 for those of you that don't have a Bible open in front of you and aren't following along. It is, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Um, first off, there are all these little nuggets in here. This is oh, so yeah. fun. Well, actually, let me go back real quick before you finish your thought on that, because yeah, yeah. this is for the previous one. Mm-hmm. John fourteen fifteen. if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Yep. So where we're saying here that uh, we know things that work together for good and for those who love God. Mm-hmm. So wait, those who keep his commandments. Yes. I, I'm guilty of not doing that all the time. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Loving God, loving my fellow man. Uh-huh. Those are the two big ones he said that. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I got to love God more than I love me, uh-huh. and I got to love my neighbors as much as I love me, mm-hmm. I'm in trouble. Yeah, and I didn't. I don't think I. I don't think I count yet. I think he's still redeeming and sanctifying me in this in this outlook. And I think that that should probably go for a lot of people. For honest with ourselves, do I love God the way I ought to? Mm-hmm. Do I love my neighbors the way I ought mm-hmm. to? If I'm being honest, I have to say I. I don't think I do. Yeah. Well, and so who would be the better judge of good there? 
Right. Would it be you or would it be the Holy Spirit? And well, so, you know, I would this, certainly hope it would be the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I would certainly hope so as well. So this is where this is where that faith in God comes in, that he is working all things for good. You can be assured that he is, whether it seems like it or not. Mm-hmm. Now, this verse 29, I, I want to, the end of the verse is interesting to me. Um, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, this is kind of an odd phrasing that I think the Mormons have kind of run with a little bit. And, you know, at the start of this, we see the Catholics. At the end, we see the Mormons, which is uh, which is just just an interesting thing. Um, Joe, the, the part about the firstborn among many brothers, yeah. what, what do you see in that? Well, I mean, obviously we're talking about the family of God, mm-hmm. right? So when we look at this and we're seeing that uh, conform to the image of his son, mm-hmm. that he, capital H, mm-hmm. might be the for- firstborn among many brothers. So the he in this context that is the firstborn among many brothers. Yes. Would seem that they're trying to say that the he is Jesus and that we would be the brethren. Yes. And that that's where I think the Mormons, like you said, have taken that and run very literally. They've run. Yes. The problem is they ran to the wrong end zone with the mm-hmm. ball on this one. That's correct. Um, yeah, they've done a bit of an own goal here. Yeah. Um, this is not literally saying that we are brothers of Jesus. That for those of you confused, the Mormons believe that we are like spirit brothers of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And we are essentially on the same level as Jesus. Jesus has just reached a point where he has been glorified um, by following the will of God to the point where he has ascended. And we can reach that same point. Um, And I think this is where a lot of that originally came from before the Book of Mormon was written to exacerbate all of that. Yeah. The problem with that is... Um, he may be the firstborn among many brothers. This is not talking about Jesus in the sense of um, him being on our level. This is talking about Jesus in the sense of we are following his image, right? It it says right before this, conform to the image of his son in order that we may be brethren. So... I just want to make that clear before we move on to anything else. This is not saying that we are spirit brothers of Jesus. This is not saying anything to that end. This is merely saying that we are in pursuit of the image of his son, that we may be glorified one day, as it talks about in Revelation and other places. Well, and at the end of this verse, too. Mm-hmm. He called to whom he called, he also justified to whom he justified, he also glorified. Yes, yes. So. And this is this is one of my father's favorite verses and really, it is a very, like, you get those feel-good verses in Scripture, you know? And the, this is one of those where it's, uh, though he justified, he also glorified. There is a certain majesty about that that just feels good to the soul, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think that, I think the feel-good verses that we typically read, we don't, they, they probably shouldn't make us feel good yeah. for the most part. Uh-huh. Um, but when we look at something like this, we realize ah, the work's been done. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't deserve it. Mm-hmm. I can't earn it. Yep. 
Instead, he gave it. And when he gave it, he also gave the ability to want to be better. And then when you want to be better, mm -hmm. he makes you better. You have nothing to do with your salvation. Exactly. Zero. You, you will answer the call. You picked up the phone, essentially. Mm -hmm. He called you. Yep. You picked up the phone. And he said, hey, you want in? And you go, uh, yeah. That's, that's <laughs> it. That's it right there. You have nothing to do. Yep. And that, that goes in part with uh, yesterday I was telling you I was talking to some Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that was one of the things that I had said to them. Like, if you have no part to play in your salvation, mm -hmm. so you couldn't have earned through moral perfection mm -hmm. what you have, how can you lose through moral um, imperfection that which you did not gain through moral perfection? Yeah. And when I and that is a direct quote from Michael Heiser. I'm not that smart. I can't think this stuff up. Mm -hmm. But I think that that's a big part of it. When you realize that all the work was done for you, mm -hmm. and that through all the work being done for you, you are made whole, and you're only made whole because he loved you enough to do it, yeah. is to me the most feel good, if you want to call it that, the most freeing things in Scripture, mm -hmm. saying, listen, we all know you. Yeah. You ain't good. Yeah. But he is. And because he is, you can be. Not here, but when you get home. Yep. And that is it's the idea of going home. Yeah. So this in in my Bible there is on the next page a little excerpt about uh the perseverance of the saints. Mm. And so that is I mean it it's such a like there there is a true beauty to scripture. And that whole idea of the perseverance of the saints is is something that's I don't want to say wholly unique to Christianity. I am sure there is some belief system out here that has something like that. But in in Islam, for instance, you can live the perfect standard Islam. If you die in jihad, you are pretty much guaranteed to get into heaven. But if you don't, if you live the perfect life outside of that, in the Islamic system of belief, Allah can still say, "Yeah, yeah. <laughs> have fun in hell." Yeah, and like that—that's just—that's just how it is. Um, I don't think there, I could believe in something that didn't give me some kind of assurance. No, that would that would suck. That, that's, that's an awful life. Yeah, but you know, in in Christianity, it does offer that assurance that is is such a comfort to the soul and is really something that you can rest in. Yeah. Because not only because if you really think about the idea of the perseverance of the saints, the idea that you cannot lose a salvation that Christ has earned for you and given to you. If you really think about that, the amount of peace that that brings, I mean, it's unlike anything else in this mm. world. Because, you know, you you can rest in that and just say, this is a life where I follow God's will as closely as I can, and I know that I can't mess it up. You know, like, I, if I follow God's will to the best of my ability, that won't merit me anything in heaven. That is simply the task that we have been given. But, hey, if I do a bad job of that, if I, you know, if there's a day where I just flub it, and, like, it is what it is, when that happens, the Holy Spirit's right there calling you right back. Mm -hmm. And guess what? You can't run away. 
you can't run away. There is nothing you can do to lose that salvation. What kind of God gets something repossessed he already paid for? Exactly. And so, you know, the, the first part of uh, Romans eight twenty nine. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. This is, this is that, that rub where it is, you know, he conformed you to the image of his son. I think that's really the part that we're going to focus on today because I don't really feel like getting into the whole predestination thing and what exactly that term means. Um, We're almost at the hour mark, so (laughs) I don't, I don't really feel like chopping this into a part two. Um, But Regardless of what your view on that word is, regardless of what your view on that word is, the part that comes after it, to be conformed to the image of his son, this is something that should unite the whole of Christianity. That is the goal. To be conformed to the image of his son, it is not something that we do. It's like, there's a certain sense that this is like a lazy river and we're all on floaties, right? Like, the Holy Spirit brings us along for the ride, and yes, there are things that we have to do. There are things, but those steps, every single one of those steps is guided by the Lord for us to be more like his Son until one day we are glorified in heaven. That is the teaching of Christianity and the assurance of that comes in the very next verse. So, guys, this is truly uh, the beauty of Scripture, and I think that is very much lost when people just read Romans 8.28 and move on with their day. Right. All right. So let's close this thing out on a strong note. I know this is a pretty obscure verse nobody's ever read before. (laughs) Uh, I've never seen a sporting event. Uh sense sarcasm here um john three sixteen. yes john three sixteen. for god so loved the world so a couple of quick points here for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten mm. his only son translation issue yes Translation issue. So we all know it as his only begotten son. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all learned it in the King James when we were kids. And begotten is actually an interesting translation issue. It appears twice in the Bible. And both times, if we take it as only begotten, we've got a serious doctrinal error. That, yes, that is something that you would have been burned at stake the for a few hundred years ago. Other time it's mentioned is in regards to Abraham and Isaac. <laughs> I Take Isaac, your only begotten son. We'll yeah, about that. Yeah, um, there there might have been another one. So the the better translation here would be your unique son or your son of promise mm-hmm. uh, would be the word that we're looking at here. So I want to start with that because that's a fundamental misunderstanding mm-hmm. of the process of translating the scriptures. Uh, we have found out uh, with the Dead Sea Scrolls what this word actually means. Mm-hmm. And so all the newer translations are actually going to have 
uh, only son or only unique son or, or something along that line because Jesus is the unique son of God. He is special in a way that no other creation was because they do call the angels the Beneha Elohim, the sons of God. Mm-hmm. So that would mean that Jesus would not be the only son of God. Well, and it is funny to me that that word begotten was used for so long because Jesus is the unique son of God precisely because he wasn't begotten. Right. So right. Uh, the, that is, yeah, the first thing that we need to know so. about John 3.16. And I think that that's important. The other thing, of course, is that we are listening into a conversation here between a very righteous, upright man in the people's view mm-hmm. versus the perfect, righteous son of God in God's view. So this is a very interesting conversation where this man Nicodemus comes to Jesus, mm-hmm. and he's he's basically saying, hey, listen, uh, what's going on here? Like, yeah. We can tell you're different. How can a man be born again is yeah. how this conversation how, started. How can you be born again? Talking about having spiritual blinders mm-hmm. to actually believe that Jesus is saying, yes, you must actually go into your mother's womb and be born again a second time. Yeah. I, I, I would have loved to get inside his head and just be like, Nicodemus, what are you talking about, dude? Like, <laughs> well, and you know, it, it, to be fair to him, it was certainly like before the explanation was giving a rather confusing thing. And I think that was one of those things where when he said that, he <laughs> to read it, this is John 3, 4, he says, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, if you don't, if your brain doesn't immediately go to spiritual rebirth, to be fair to him, I can't understand how that would be confusing. <laughs> and he's probably, it's one of these situations where he's probably going out on a limb and being like, I that don't sound right. No, this isn't <laughs> what you mean. But. <laughs> Yeah, so... I mean, I could probably have a lot of conversations with Jesus like that. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, he, you know, he, he is a little bit smarter than the rest of us. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, just a wee bit. Mm-hmm. All right, so for God so loved the world. God loved the world like this. Mm-hmm. Once again, another another translational thing. Um, people think like, oh, God loved the world so much, he just gave us a big hug, you know? Like, God loved the world in this way mm-hmm. that he sent his unique son... Mm-hmm that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Mm-hmm. And we have a very interesting verse here because it is another one that's in every sports team you've ever seen. It's, you, like you said, Tim Tebow started this, uh, you know, wide crazy, which just like Paul said, you know, I don't. If the gospel is preached, the gospel is preached, whether yep. you know for good reasons or bad, mm-hmm. as long as it's preached. But this is kind of a an interesting one because what has happened is the most poignant, purposeful, and intelligent presentation of the gospel that we've ever had in the Bible, the the easiest one verse, you can memorize it in your sleep verse that we've ever had in the Bible about how we get to eternal life Mm -hmm. has been watered down. It's like when you say the same word over and over and over again, Mm -hmm. and eventually you're like, I don't even think this word has a meaning anymore. We've heard this so much that it's brought away some of the majesty and beauty of God's plan that was actually being uttered by 
God in human flesh to tell us, listen, if you look at me and you have all your faith in me, then what you do, it's not of you. You you don't get to heaven through you. You get to heaven through me. I'm and he said it before. I'm the door, mm-hmm. right? I'm the door. And this is such a beautiful verse. It, it was only fitting to end on this verse. Yep. Um, but my heart is really sad when I I realize that people who have no idea who Jesus is, mm-hmm. they have no love of Christ. They know this verse but they don't know this verse. You can know something in your mind and not know the power of it in your spirit. And there's so many people like uh, Joe Rogan recently um, had Hulk Hogan on. Yes. And Hulk Hogan had a John 316 shirt on. Mm -hmm. And so Joe Rogan actually heard the presentation of the gospel from a couple of his guests in the last few weeks. Mm -hmm. But John 316 was uttered. Mm -hmm. And nobody stopped to take it in. Yeah. Like... God had this plan from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And Jesus said these words to a man of religious law that was upright in the people's eyes, who was in the people's eyes. He was perfect. He didn't make no mistakes. Mm-hmm. And the perfect son of God said, listen, you got to be born again. The only way to be born again is through me. And then what I did will get you there. Yeah. I gave you the free ticket. You just got to take it. Yeah. And it's such a beautiful verse. And it saddens me that it's become so common yeah, well, and I, you know, it's it's important to note uh, Jesus is perfect in every way. He does not misspeak. And if you go down a few more verses to uh, 19, 20, and 21, I'll just go ahead and read those. Yeah. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, of course, referring to Jesus, and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And immediately after this, we have the passage about John the Baptist exalting Christ. But it is very important to note here, Every time that Jesus talks about love, it is usually going to be followed with the inadequacy of man. Mm. And while you were reading that, the first thing that went through my mind is that two chapters prior, three Mm -hmm. chapters prior, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that had been made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men, and the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness could not comprehend it. He literally doubled over in the same book Mm -hmm. the importance of light coming to the darkness. Mm -hmm. And and it's it's staggering. And that became the motto of the Reformation, too, post-Tenebras Lux, out of darkness light. And, you know, that was referring to... Uh, the Catholics messing up the gospel, essentially. Um, but, you know, the the Catholic Church in that instance was referred to as the darkness. What was the light, though? Was the light Martin Luther? 
Certainly not. I mean, Martin Luther didn't think of himself as a very light-bearing person. He right. he thought of himself as, uh, you know, vulgar, a, a terrible person, really. If you read his writings, he was not a, the biggest fan of himself. But what Martin Luther knew is that what he saw in the gospel was not being presented in Catholicism, and this eventually led him to the realization that everything they had was wrong. Why is this? What was the light? The light is Jesus. The light is not the Pope. The light is not cathedrals. The light is not found anywhere in man. And Joe, go back to the go back to uh, chapter one, talking yep. about um, the part where it mentions the light. All right. So, and the light shined in the darkness, and the yes. darkness did not comprehend it. Yeah. So. It is made clear that any light that is found in man is of Christ. And, you know, if we're going to end on any note, it would be that. Yes, John 3.16 is about the love of God. Absolutely. But it is important to note that that light does not come with any caveats. And if it did, we would all be in a world of hurt. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. There's a certain passage in Romans that talks about that. Romans 1, I believe. Uh, do you recall off the top of your head what that may be? 118, maybe? 118. Off the top of my head, no, but I got my Bible here, so that's good. Wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness mm -hmm. because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. Yeah, so the, the whole theme of Romans 1 is basically just saying that all men are evil. And so in light of that, I think John 3.19 takes on a different meaning and because of that, John 3.16 takes on a new meaning, where the gravity of this love of God is shown even more clearly. I mean, this is this is something of... I'm struggling to find words here because of just how significant this is. This love that's presented here is not something that's ordinary. It's not something that has ever been seen before in history. God is holy, holy, holy. This is It's presented that way in Isaiah and throughout all of Scripture. That means he is as separate from sin as he possibly could be. We are the doers of iniquity. I mean, Peter literally looked at a crowd of thousands of people and said, you were the ones that crucified the mm -hmm. Son of God. Guys, that applies to us today. I've, I've said it before in past episodes, but every time you sin, that is another nail driven into Christ's hands. Mm -hmm. That That is still what our function is until we are saved. And yet, God loves us anyway. And that, like how unbelievable that truly is. It's truly hard to capture. I think what's really, uh, I was looking at this while you're speaking, um, Augustine is cited. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. for the John 1 through 21 Nicodemus conversation. Mm -hmm. Nicodemus knew only one birth from Adam and Eve. He did not yet know the birth from God and the church. He knew only the parents who beget death. 
He did not yet know the parents who beget life. He knew only the parents who beget those who will succeed them. He did not yet know the parents who living forever beget those who will remain. Therefore, although there are two births, <clears throat> he only knew one. Mm -hmm. One is from the earth, the other is from heaven. One is from the flesh, the other from the spirit. One is from mortality, the other from eternity. One is from male and female, the other is from God and the church. But these two are each individual instances. Neither one nor the other can be repeated. Wow. That is, that is words of wisdom from someone who was there. And, uh, I mean, there you have it, folks. I think, I think this is probably uh, no better place to wrap up this episode. No. I'll, I'll end it by reading the final verses of the Bible because uh, they just they came to mind to me, and I think when Scripture comes to mind, uh, you shouldn't neglect that. So after the entirety of Revelation has been given to John, Revelation 22:20 20 says, He who testifies to these things says, and the he in this instance is Jesus, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And verse 21, the grace of Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Amen.